All right. Well, there you see some of the reason that we give. Um, last week, you were challenged to give um, not only in tithes and offerings, but also uh, to our global missions um, offering. And so each year we try to set a goal to pass money on to missionaries all over the world, to the IMB, to the North American Mission Board, and many other mission organizations. And last week, uh, I'm thankful for your generosity because we had a goal of $25,000 and uh, we'll have another giving emphasis towards the end of the year and we're over halfway there. We've received over $13,000 uh, since last week. And so thank you for being a church that gives. Uh, we have to be on mission for the gospel. Uh, so today is a new day at Riverview. Uh, Tara and I have prayed for this day. In many ways, we see this day as an answer uh, to prayer uh, for our church and our own lives. We are so thankful and excited. Uh, we love you. We love Riverview Baptist Church. Uh, we love this body of believers, and we are excited, and we look forward to what God is going to do uh, through Riverview in the coming weeks and months and years together. And so I would ask that you would just be a, uh, partnering with me in prayer as we pursue Him. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about, as you see on the screen behind me, a vision. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about a vision for uh, Riverview Baptist Church. And in our services, we're going to be really looking at the why. The why. Why do we do the things that we do? If you stay back, if you come to our second service and come to our lunch that follows, we'll talk about the what together. What are we going to do? Um, one of the things that I just want to say is that as your pastor, my desire is that we have a lot of continuity moving into the coming years. Um, one of the reasons that I worked so well with the previous pastor was very simply this. We believed the same things. Um, we believed in what we were doing. And so my desire is that we would continue to press forward with what God has given us as a church. Um, and so we're going to be looking at a vision. We'll look at a vision for worship, a vision for fellowship, a vision for discipleship. And then we're going to look at two other things, engaging our families and engaging our community over the next five weeks together. Um, but I want to ask you this. I want to ask you a question. And raise your hand if you know the answer. But don't raise your hand if you're not sure because I might call on you, okay? So, so be honest with me. Uh, but without looking at your bulletin, do you know Riverview's mission statement? If you know it, can you raise your hand with me this morning? Those of you that, without a doubt, I know it. If you call on me, I won't be embarrassed. Okay, that's what I was afraid of, yeah. We stand up here and we say that every single Sunday. We talk about guiding people into a Christ-centered identity and a Christ-centered influence, right? Uh, and so over the next five weeks, what we're going to be looking at is what is necessary then for us to have that Christ-centered identity and influence. What are the things that we as a church believe are, are key components in order for us to be able to live out that Christ-centered identity and influence. The Bible says that vision is of vital importance. In Proverbs 29, 18, Solomon tells us, he says, where there is no vision, the people perish, right? We actually have that painted in our old uh, fellowship hall. Maybe some of you have noticed that. We have that proverb written on the walls. But that's not all that it says. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. He that keeps the law happy is he. And people today oftentimes focus on the beginning of that verse. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But the proverb is not just to be understood in terms of human vision, human leadership. It's not saying where there is no good leadership, the people perish, although there may be some truth there. 
What the proverb is actually saying is this, is that where there is no vision of the Lord, the people perish because they won't do what he says. They won't be obedient. And so what we need as God's people is clarity about who he is. We need a clear vision of God Almighty. And so that's why this morning I want us to start with this idea of worship. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. We have one shot at this life. We get one chance, one opportunity. And if we do not worship God, if we do not see him for who he is, if we don't understand that he is a glorious, big, mighty, powerful God, we will be distracted by the things of this earth, and we will not follow him, and we'll live for ourselves. And so this morning, I want us to stop and look at John chapter 17. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there this morning. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. We'll be looking at worship this morning together, how to worship God correctly. If you will, go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. As we read this, I want you to pay attention to how many times the word either glorify or glory is actually mentioned in this passage. Pay attention to that as we read. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, the word of the Lord says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy God, we come before you this morning. And Father, we, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for this time that we have together, together as your people. Lord, we pray that you would use this time, God, to help us get a new vision of you, to help us be refocused and renewed on your kindnesses to us. God, I pray that as we open your word this morning, that our hearts would be sensitive and our eyes would be open, our ears would hear the things that you would have to say to us this morning, that you would be honored. Father, we love you. We ask that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're looking at John chapter 17, and and many of you know this is the high priestly prayer. In many ways, uh, Jesus is preparing to be killed and crucified, and so he's praying this prayer in a sense, in a way, it is a passing of the baton to the disciples, to the church. Jesus is preparing them. He's saying, I'm not going to be with you much longer, and here are the things that matter. Here are the things that I want you to know Here are the things that I'm going to pray over you. And he starts his prayer, and how many times does he use the word glory or glorify? Five times in five verses. Five times in five verses. And so I would submit to you this morning that Jesus is rightly and and goodly, well, he does well to be preoccupied, to be focused on, to be jealous of his glory. He prays that the Father would glorify him. 
And the idea that I want us to just remember this morning is this. To have a Christ-centered identity and influence, we must receive and reflect God's glory. We must worship. We cannot be the people that God is calling us to be without receiving and reflecting His glory. This is what Jesus did. As a small boy, I was taught a simple prayer. And it goes something like this. Many of you know it. It says that God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Thank you, Lord, for this daily bread. Yeah. And so we've all heard that many, many times. We've heard that prayer. But oftentimes we're very quick to move past those first two lines. There are three very simple words in two very simple sentences. God is great and God is good. When we forget that, when we miss that truth, we miss God's glory. You see, I think one of the problems in our society today is very simply this. We don't have a vision of the Lord in America anymore. We, we live in a culture that, that people don't have a clear vision of the Lord. And so guess what? The people perish. There's school shootings. Problems are rampant in homes and communities. There is violence on the streets. There are uh, open protests and rebellion against our government. There's all kinds of chaos that occurs in our society. Why? Because people have forgotten the goodness and the glory, the greatness of God. And so I'm convinced that in, in reality it's this. One of the worst problems in the world today is actually Christians who have a small view of God. Christians who only really think of Jesus on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. People who claim to know the Lord with their lips and then walk out here and perhaps deny Him with their lifestyle. We must reflect and receive the glory of God if we're going to worship Him well. Just as we breathe in and we breathe out, just as we inhale and we exhale, we need to inhale a clear picture of who Jesus is, of who God is, and we need to exhale that naturally to the world around us. And so this is what it is to worship. This is what it is to honor God with our lives. And so I just want us to start this morning by asking this question. What is God's glory? What is God's glory? If you were to answer that, how would you answer it? Theologically speaking, God's glory is the display of His perfections. Of His perfections. The idea that God is perfectly good and right. God is perfectly just. That He is perfectly strong. He is perfectly powerful. He is perfectly loving. He is perfectly perfect. And so when we see instances of that out in the world, or when we see instances of that through our mind's eye as we read and study Scripture, we behold His glory. John Piper has said it this way, that God's glory is the going public of his holiness. It's when we as human beings see his goodness. And so I would just submit to you today that God's glory is clear to us when we truly acknowledge his goodness and his greatness. God's glory is clear to you and me when we actually see with our eyes and with our hearts God's goodness and greatness. Here's what I mean. It's a rainy day outside or it could be a rainy day. Let's take a rainbow. We've all seen a rainbow before, right? And as perhaps you're driving down the car with your family and friends, you see this rainbow, 
and there is something that happens when we see it. We tend to ooh and ah, oh, wow, look at that. And we turn to our friends and our family, and we want to draw them in, right? We want to let them see the goodness that we see. We see something beautiful in the sky. We see this incredible array of colors, and it's good and bright. And here's what I would say to you, friend, what you are doing in that moment when you see that rainbow, and you ooh and you ah, what you're doing is you're beholding the glory of God. A rainbow is a picture, it is a promise of his kindness to us, right? That he's not going to flood the earth again because he's a holy and righteous God and he's done that once. And so it is literally a promise to us in the sky of his kindness, of his goodness to you and to me. And we see that and we say, wow, wow. Here's what the Lord is also saying to us, I believe. He's saying, pay attention. You see, I'm like this, as beautiful as this rainbow is except I'm infinitely better. Pay attention as much as you ooh and ah at this rainbow. If you will know me, you will ooh and ah so much more. Pay attention. This is what it means to behold the glory of God. God's glory really has always, always been the point. It's the reason that the high priestly prayer begins the way that it does. Jesus could have said any words to start this prayer. But he chose to focus on his glory, on the glory of God. Think with me about the Lord's Prayer. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, glorious, revered, wonderful is your name. It starts with his glory. When Adam and Eve were made in God's image, why were we made in God's image? To reflect His glory. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, he first pleaded with God, Show me your glory. When Solomon's temple was built, it was built with the purest gold, with the finest silver, with the richest of woods, to display to the watching world the infinite value and worth of the God that the Israelites worshipped was meant to display his glory. When Isaiah was commissioned as a prophet, he had a vision. And don't miss that. He had a vision. Remember, what is a vision? It is a revelation. It is a picture of who God is. He had a vision of God on his throne in his glory. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, and he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. You see, you and I exist to receive, not just to to give it out. We first have to receive it. We have to receive God's glory. We have to see him for who he is. And then as we do that, if we are looking at him rightly, if we are looking at him well, we will reflect his glory. It's just going to be natural to who we are. It's going to be what we do. And so the reason that we make disciples, the reason that we fellowship The reason that we evangelize is because of the glory of God. If we do these tasks, if we decide, I'm going to notch my belt and I'm just going to see how many people I can get to come to know the Lord. I'm just going to see how many people. I'm just going to count the numbers. We're going to burn out. If we try to make disciples, look, making disciples is teaching other people to follow Jesus 
learning it, doing it yourself, and then passing it on. It takes time. It takes investment. It takes energy. And oftentimes, the people that we invest in won't necessarily buy it. They won't always follow it. It's hard work. If we do disciple-making just for the sake of disciple-making, we will grow weary. We will grow tired. But friends, if we understand and we see well this glorious God, and we're filled with Him first, we're filled with His goodness first, making disciples, evangelizing, telling people about who He is will be natural. It'll be just like seeing that rainbow. Ooh, wow. Look at him. Friends, family, come and see this good God that I know. Come and and know him the way that I do. God's glory has always been the point. It is the reason that we worship. It is the reason that we literally come together together here on Sunday mornings. It is why we sing. It is why we proclaim God's word together. It is to remind us that we are to stand in awe of him, that we are to stop, as Psalm 46.10 tells us, to be still and to know that he is God, that he is our hope, not some president, not some power, not some form of entertainment, not some thing out there to be reminded that life is not about us, that he is God. So we see what God's glory is. It is the display of his goodness and greatness for us to see. Secondly, I want us to see that God's glory is plainly seen in Jesus Christ and in creation. That's what we are told in John 17. In John 17, Jesus says that he has glorified him on the earth. Look at verse 4 with me. Jesus says... I glorified you on earth. I reflected you, is what he's saying. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Two places that we see God's glory displayed very clearly in life. Number one is Jesus Christ. And that is the first place that we should always look if we're going to see God's glory. And then number two is everything else. All of creation. We'll unpack that together for just a minute. But Jesus is the perfect image of God's glory. He is the perfect picture of what it looks like to know God, to glorify Him. And Jesus is very clear in this passage. Look with me in verse 2. Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is very clear. In him alone is all authority. In him alone is eternal life. You see, we must not simply know about God. We have to actually know Jesus Christ personally, intimately. We have to actually behold his glory for ourselves. We have to be willing to spend time with him and submit to him and to follow him in the way that he calls us to walk. Jesus is clear. He is the one who displays God's glory perfectly. When Jesus was born of a virgin, the angels came and proclaimed, and what did they say to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, right? They said, glory to God. And they were saying to the world, pay attention. 
Pay attention to God's kindness to you, to God's grace to you in giving you his glorious son so that your sins can be forgiven. Pay attention. Wake up. Get ready. Glory to God. In the midst of Jesus' ministry, he was transfigured so that Peter, James, and John witnessed his perfect goodness and beauty. They witnessed a glimpse of his glory on the mountain. And what did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, let's build some tents. I don't want to leave. Let's stay here. He ooed and he awed and he saw the goodness of God and he said, I don't want to go anywhere else. I just want to be in this place. I want to be with you. You see, we're made to know his glory. When Jesus died in our place on the cross, he did so as the most perfect display of love that the world has ever known. A selfless demonstration of the goodness and greatness of God. A display of his great power that Jesus had the authority and the power to walk through life and never once sin. That he had the ability to go through life and never once act unlovingly. He always perfectly submitted to the Father. He showed us what it looks like to live the life that we're supposed to live. He displayed his authority. He displayed his love, but he displayed God's goodness. Jesus took what you and I deserve. The pain, the nails, the torment that he walked through was meant for me. It was meant for you. And so he displayed the goodness of God. He said, I, even though I'm the the least, I'm perfect, I don't deserve this. I'm the last one to deserve this. I will stand in your place because I love you. Because you can't do this yourself. And so come and don't just know about me. The demons know about me and shudder. Come and know me. Come and have a relationship with me. This is where life is. This is where my glory resides. Come into relationship with me. Jesus did all these things in a fantastic display of the glory of God so that whoever would believe could be forgiven. So I would just remind us that we cannot receive and acknowledge Jesus' glory without first accepting his authority. You cannot receive and acknowledge and reflect the glory of God until you're willing to receive his authority in your life. And I would just ask you today, friend, firstly, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him this way, have you received his authority? Have you bowed the knee to say, God, not my will, but yours be done? I'm no longer going to live for myself. Come, make me your child. Make me a member of your family. Give me a new heart. Teach me to follow you. Let me see your glory. That same prayer is actually the same prayer that that every Christian is meant to pray every day. Every day we wake up, we're tempted to live for us. We're tempted to live for ourselves. What we're called to do is daily take up our cross, daily bow the knee to Jesus and say, Father, not my will today. There's a thousand different things that that vie for my attention. There's a thousand different ways that, that I could be distracted. Help me today to reflect your glory. Help me to see you for who you are. So we see that Jesus has all authority over all the earth. I just want to turn very quickly to Colossians 1, 15 through 17. I want us to just turn there. Hold your thumb in John and flip over to the book of Colossians. I love this passage. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. 
says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Listen. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus perfectly displays God's authority. And here's what I meant earlier when I said one of the biggest problems is Christians who have a small view of God. Where is Jesus today? Where is Jesus? He is in our hearts in a sense. We do have the Holy Spirit of God with us. But the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation where Jesus is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father high and lifted up on a throne, and his enemies are his footstool. He is not simply just a meek and mild shepherd. He came that way, but make no mistake, he is returning as the warrior king. He came as the lamb. He's coming as the lion. He will return again in his power and in his authority, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will do that Enjoy exclaiming, yes, Father, yes. Others will do it in fear and dread. But every knee will bow. We must have a big view of God because he is a big God. So not only do we see God's glory displayed in Jesus, we also see it displayed in all creation. When Isaiah sees his vision of the Lord... Again, the Lord is high and lifted up, and there are these seraphim, these angels, flying about. And they shout something. What do they shout? They shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. And they give us a hint. They give us a clue, a place to look for those of us that are here on the earth to see his goodness, to see his greatness, to see his grandeur. And they tell us, look at creation. Look at the earth that you live in to see his glory. You see, friends, glory is all around us. The glory of God each and every day constantly surrounds us. We just have to have eyes to see it. We have to have ears to hear it. So often we're distracted. So often we walk right past it. We never even see it. We miss it. When I see the night stars, I need eyes to help me not just see beautiful, glimmering, twinkling lights. I need eyes to see the glory of God. Here's what I mean. Science tells us that there are some 250 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy alone. Some 250 billion. Our sun is only one of those stars. Okay? It is 109 times bigger than our planet, and it is considered as a snowflake to some of the stars that exist in our galaxy. A snowflake. That's not an exaggeration. Our galaxy is one among some 100 billion other galaxies, each one containing billions of stars themselves. The indescribable vastness of our universe is screaming of the grandeur and glory of God. And so what I don't need to see is little glimmering stars and say, oh, that's nice. What I need to see is those stars and realize how small I am and realize how big and righteous and holy and good the God of the universe that created those stars is. That's what I need. I need eyes to see it. But how often do I just walk past it? 
How often do I miss it? He's speaking to us. He's saying, I'm like this. I hold the universe like this. Come and know me. Come and see me. Come and taste and see that I'm good. You see, I recently had a son. And I prayed for that son for many years. And I'm so thankful. He's a gift from the Lord. Our church is incredibly blessed with young families. In the past, I think, five weeks, we've had five babies at Riverview. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) That's incredible. But here's what we need to be reminded of. When I see a baby born... I don't just need to marvel at the mystery of life and stop there. I need to see the glory of God. I need to see. Science tells us that there are roughly, listen to this, 100 billion cells in our brains alone. The average human adult is composed of over 72 trillion cells to make up our bodies. How many galaxies of cells are sitting in this room right now? This is what the psalmist tells us. This is what God is reminding us of. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Who can fathom it? You see, each person on this planet is a walking, talking display of God's glory. We are walking, talking miracles. And God is saying to us today, God is saying to you today, this room is full of my glory. Look around. Wake up. Oftentimes, you shake a hand and you walk past it. You never once see it. Wake up. This earth is full of my glory. He's saying, come and stand in awe. I'm like this, only better. I'm like you, except I'm exactly what your heart needs. And so as we behold the beauty and power that surround us daily, we have to bounce our eyes upward. We have to train our minds to remember this is not just for us. We are made for him. We must train ourselves to receive and acknowledge God's glory and then reflect it out into the world around us. Lastly, I just want us to see that there's basically two options. We have two options when we're presented with glory this big. There's two choices that we have. Either we will retreat or we will reflect God's glory. Those are the two options. We will retreat or we will reflect God's glory. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses encounters God in the cleft of the rock. In Exodus 33, he says, Lord, show me your glory. The Lord tells him, Moses, you know, no man can see my glory and live. But because of my kindness and my favor and goodness towards you, I will grant your request to the fullest possible extent. I will place you in the cleft of the rock. I will pass by you and I will cover you with my hand so that you can only see my back. You can only see a little bit of my goodness and glory. And so Moses gets to stand nearer to God Almighty than any man has ever stood on the face of the earth. And he witnesses something that only our minds can dare to imagine. And in Exodus 34, he begins to march back down the mountain. And there's a, there's a picture even there. You see, we were meant to see God's glory, but Moses didn't get to stay on the mountain. Moses had to come back down and share it. That's what we're called to do. And as Moses is coming down the mountain, he says, he calls out to Aaron and the men of Israel, come near. And what do they do? They run. They run away in terror. 
because Moses' face is glowing. It's shining, literally. It is reflecting the glory that he just beheld. It is showing the world the goodness and glory of God. And the men see this, and they run, and they retreat. Why? Because it's bigger than them. It's something different. It's something unusual. It's not something that they realize, oh, this is not a God that we can control. This is not a God that is just going to do every little thing our way. When Moses sees this God, his face shines. What kind of God is this? How big is he? And so they retreat. And here's what I just want to warn you of, Christians. Reflecting God's glory comes at a price. You'll be weird to a lost world. We won't fit in. We won't be normal because we won't be preoccupied with us. We will reflect His glory. We will stand out and we will look different. And people, some people may run from us. But you know what? God's worth it. To know God that way is worth it. I wouldn't trade the praises of a thousand men to stand and to know and to see God the way that I'm supposed to. Oh, we have a choice. Will we retreat? Will we withdraw? Or will we reflect it? The men, Aaron and the leaders, finally eventually come close to God. Or come close to Moses, excuse me. And when they do, they say, okay, Moses, here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to do what? We're going to ask you to wear a veil to cover your face. Think about that. They're literally asking to be separated from the glory of God. Separate us out from that. It's too much. I don't want to see that. It's too hard. It's too big. It's too difficult. Separate it out from us. Moses didn't retreat from God because he knew God. He had a relationship with the God of glory. Friends, I, I hear, I'm here to tell you that I'm afraid oftentimes we do the same things. For many of us, we walk through life and our eyes are covered with veils. It's the veil of our careers, it's the veil of entertainment, it's the veil of sex, it's the veil of power and money, and our eyes are covered, and we miss the good things that God has for us today. The good news is this, Jesus died so that the veil could be removed. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians. Jesus died so that the veil could be torn off. And the way that we do that is whatever that thing is, whatever the veil is that distracts us and keeps us and separates us from the glory of God, we rip it off and we say, Lord, this thing may be good, but it's not as good as you. And so I'm going to lay this at your feet and whatever your will is, you take it and I will follow you because you're worth it. This is what we're called to do. This is how we begin to reflect the glory of God. Reflecting God's glory is the supreme act of worship. We're not just to receive it and hold it and hide it. We're to show it to a world that awaits and needs it. And so we come to worship services, and we can come, and we can never actually once worship God. We can totally sing the songs. We can hear the sermons. We can do the things. We can go through the motions. We can totally miss it because we didn't see God's glory. But if we do, we come, we will be reminded of who He is and who we are. We'll be reminded that He is the light of the world and we're called to be mirrors. I'm supposed to take that light, and I'm supposed to let the world see. That's who I'm supposed to be. Nothing more, nothing less. That's who God has made me to be. We are either reflecting Him well, or we are reflecting Him poorly to a world 
that is begging for light. We sing songs of God's goodness and kindness to us. We sing of the resurrection. We do all of these things. We sing of his mighty works, what God has done to remind us of his goodness and his greatness. So I just want to ask you today, Christian, are you reflecting? Does the world really see your light shine? I want to read to you from a song called So Will I. It's written by Hillsong. I don't necessarily love every word in this song, but I do love this section. It says this. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises stills falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times, so will I. The question I want to ask you today is, will you? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we, we recognize our immense... Your image, and, uh, and so we acknowledge that everything that we have that's good is from you and that you have loved us. Help us now to model that love as we go out from this room uh, into a world with people that need to know your love. Uh, help us to, to radiate that to others. We pray in the power of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.